0: Dr. Bruce Grayson said, respecting things that are difficult to measure rather than dismissing them as unreal is not rejecting science, it's embracing science. Welcome to the Soul Podcast, I'm Stacy Wheeler. Dr. Bruce Grayson has been researching NDEs for around 40 years now. He was the head of University of Virginia's Division of Perceptual Studies and is one of the founders of IANS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Grayson has continued to do the work needed to answer the tough questions about the nature of consciousness. And he's not alone. As NDEs gain more mainstream awareness, we find multiple universities have done research or are doing research in this field of study. Along with the University of Virginia, we find University of Southampton in the UK and the University of Arizona, University of Louisville, University of Connecticut, and the University of North Texas. We also find Seattle Pacific University, the University of Missouri, the University of Birmingham in the UK, and there's even more. We've come a long way since Dr. Raymond Moody's book Life After Life became a bestseller in the 70s. In the last episode, we looked at the long history of NDEs and saw that people have been talking about this thing for thousands of years. In this segment, I'll look at what exactly an NDE is. We'll see the most common experiences people report they have with an NDE. There's about 15 commonalities. Backing up a little, for a long time there were only a handful of places doing research on NDEs and we can see the list of schools is clearly growing. For many years scientific minds struggled with the idea of studying NDEs. I think the resistance came because the questions involved were too esoteric for many scientists, if not most. Think about it, Can scientific study ever give us definitive answers to questions like, do we survive the death of the body? Is there life after death? What is consciousness? And is there a soul? Modern science finds its roots in the writings of 17th century philosopher Thomas Hobbes. Hobbes believed that all phenomena in the universe can be explained in terms of motion and interactions of material bodies. This included human bodies and all things in the natural world. To him, it was all material. He did not believe in the soul or in the mind as separate from the body. He saw human beings as essentially natural machines with even their thoughts and emotions operating according to physical laws and the chain of cause and effect, action and reaction. Everything could easily be measurable because everything was material. So science essentially approaches everything as material now. And honestly, this is a simple way to operate. When things can be measured and quantified, we can use the information to create desired outcomes. The creation of different metals, the way your phone works, the flow of electricity, is all based on materialism. There's essentially a recipe for all of those things. And when we follow that recipe, we get the desired results. This is because of this materialist worldview. But NDEs lean hard into an area of the non-material world. Science approaches study from a material perspective, so How does the scientific mind begin research from a question like, do we survive the death of the body? Naturally, they didn't. Instead, they approached it from the notion of proving NDEs could be explained using a material structure. But they ran into a problem. They weren't able to explain them with the material model. In trying to explain what NDEs are, many hard fact scientists were forced to abandon their rigid perspectives. The unexpected and seemingly unexplainable findings of their research made many question their belief structure. They had to make a choice, stick to the materialist model, or become more open to looking at non-material explanations. Or you might say, their research made them start to wonder if there's more to us than what material science suggests. So these are pretty brave scientists, but they stepped out of the materialist view and started going down some roads that weren't well-paved. It seems evidence of the soul creates difficult-to-answer questions, and very little, if any, answers to those questions. Today, this field of study is growing rapidly. Not long ago, if you wanted to do research in the non-materialist studies, like NDEs, reincarnation, or psychedelic studies, you'd have to launch a research facility of your own, or risk working with people considered to be fringe scientists by the scientific community. Today, people entering college can state a goal of working in one of these fields and know that there is a growing field of research waiting for them when they graduate. We've come a long way in a short time. Admittedly, I'm fascinated by these types of studies, and especially in how they may be evidence of the soul. But it wasn't always that way. Most of my life, i viewed these topics through pretty skeptical eyes. And I'd say that's a nice way to put it. But things shifted when I started looking at these topics without bias. Like most, with a materialist view, I wanted proof. But of course, not everything in the world offers proof. But lacking absolute proof of something doesn't mean it isn't real. Do we need to see it with our eyes to believe something? Of course not. But there are many true things. If we didn't have proof, we might never believe. There's just something about us, humans, that makes us prefer to have proof before we accept anything. The more unbelievable, the more we hold out for proof. Consider something as simple as natural wonders. In the 1800s, men explored the western part of what would become the United States, and they started telling stories about volcanic rumblings, waterfalls that moved in reverse from the ground, and boiling cauldrons. All this they saw out west. Not many were willing to accept such wild stories. But then they saw the pools and geysers of Yellowstone. They understood, and they believed. So yes, seeing is a sure path to believing. But as with this example, you don't have to see something for it to exist. Doubting the tales of Yellowstone travelers didn't make Yellowstone Valley any less real. But go back to that time. Imagine that you're there in that time. When several travelers come back from the valley with similar stories, describing the same amazing wonders, each from their own perspective, they don't have the words to describe it in a way you can visualize because there's nothing to compare these wonders to directly. They could say it's like this or it's like that, but no one's ever seen anything like this, so how do you describe it? You'd have a difficult time imagining it since you have nothing in your experience to compare it to either. But now it has you wondering, are these people all making this story up? Why would so many people lie about such a thing? What would be the point of making up such a story? Over the years, more travelers tell the same stories. You realize each of them travel there alone, yet still have the same sorts of stories. So you can see it's not a conspiracy of a small group to tell a lie. There's a lot of people saying the same thing. A single amazing story might be hard to believe. A handful of individual stories might make it more intriguing But now, if thousands of people came back from the valley and described seeing similar unexplainable wonders, amazing yet difficult to explain things, you'd have to start going, yeah, there's something to this. Now imagine if this continued for hundreds or thousands of years, these same stories. You'd eventually just kind of have to take it as being true, wouldn't you? And maybe someday, you get the chance to experience it with your own eyes. It seems people have been making the journey to the valley of near death since before the time of Plato, and they all come back with unexplainable yet similar experiences. Instead of boiling cauldrons of water, they tell of dark tunnels towards a light. Instead of waterfalls shooting up from the ground, they tell of seeing their life in full panorama at amazing speeds. Is this a conspiracy of thousands of people over thousands of years to fool the rest of us? Do you need to see the valley for yourself to accept it's there? But yes, still we look for proof, knowing it may not be as simple as exploring the wilderness out west. All this leads us to Dr. Bruce Grayson and Dr. Raymond Moody's research. In the mid-70s, Moody found more than a dozen commonalities in the experiences of those who had had an NDE. Later, Grayson's research showed the same. Although NDEs vary from one person to another, they often include such features as these feeling very comfortable and free of pain, a sensation of leaving the body, being able to see the physical body while floating above it, the mind functioning more clearly and more rapidly than usual, a sensation of being drawn into a tunnel or darkness, a brilliant light sometimes at the end of a tunnel. It's usually described as the brightest light they'd ever seen, but they say the light doesn't hurt their eyes. A sense of overwhelming peace, well-being, or absolute unconditional love. A sense of having access to unlimited knowledge. A life review or recall of important events of the past. Often this life review happens in the presence of a kind being which seems to be made of light. A preview of future events yet to come. Encounters with deceased loved ones or with other beings that may be identified as religious figures. People also report there is no language. The communication is a knowing of what the other beings are saying or thinking but not in word form. This is something more like telepathic communication. And time doesn't seem to exist as it does when we're in the body. Some have described having many days worth of experience on the other side only to be revived and find they were clinically dead for a matter of seconds or minutes. Again, these features are commonly reported, but some NDEs differ from this pattern and they include some of the elements, but not all. But these are the most common. So like Yellowstone Valley, those who visit the Valley of Near Death also come back struggling to describe the same wonders. They each struggle to find the words to explain the unexplainable. People are starting to accept that there's something going on that we don't fully understand. And the NDE experience has influenced the culture more than you might realize. A few weeks back, someone jokingly said something to me about their life flashing before their eyes. It's interesting to connect the unnoticed dots in life. It's an old saying. We've all heard it. But I'd never connected it to NDEs. It was just by chance that I happened to be writing this episode. Isn't it exactly what they're saying? The research, as far back as the 1800s, found that when we're in deep peril or at risk of death, we might find that we have a life review in very fast motion. Isn't that a different way of saying the same thing? So on some level, we all seem to accept this aspect of the NDE story. What I find especially interesting is that NDEs have been reported by people of all types of cultures from different countries across a few thousand years. This is long before the internet or other ways to easily share information. So it's interesting that so many experiences are so detailed yet similar. To me, that makes the evidence more credible. Listen to what Dr. Moody has to say about it. Some years ago, I went to China and then to India a year or so later. And in both cases, I was expecting to hear something different. But what I was astonished by was that I heard the same thing in India with the Hinduism, as I hear in the United States from people who are Jewish or Christian or whatever. When we look at universal experiences like this, we see either an epic conspiracy or a growing evidence of the soul. Grayson has done some very important work, and we will be talking more about him in coming episodes. Grayson does a masterful job of keeping one foot in the camp of materialism while being able to research NDEs, something that appears more and more to have its foundation in the non-material world. He's been a huge mover in this field of study. Moving forward, remember the quote we started with from Grayson. Respecting things are difficult to measure rather than dismissing them as unreal, is not rejecting science, it's embracing science. Currently, science is struggling on several fronts to explain things that cannot be explained with material answers. And we're in an interesting time, because we have a front row seat for this shift in thinking. Come back for episode 3 in this series, where I'll tell you how an NDE changed a neurosurgeon's scientific mind. And we'll look at the profound ways having an NDE can affect a person's journey in this world. Thank you for listening to this Soul podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, learned something new, or were just entertained, please tell your friends about the show. This is the best way for people to find the show. Check the show notes for links to supporting information, as well as any books or other reading material related to this episode.